Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. Now we are going to start with our sixth chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is basically the book three of Harry Potter, and the chapter name is Talons and Tea Leaves. When Harry, Ron, and Hermione entered the Great Hall for breakfast next day, the first thing they saw was Draco Malfoy, who seemed to be entertaining a large group of Slytherins with a very funny story. As they passed, Malfoy did a ridiculous impression of a swooning fit, and there was a roar of laughter. Ignore him, said Hermione, who was right behind Harry. Just ignore him. It's not worth it. Hey, Potter, shrieked Pansy Parkinson, a Slytherin girl with a face like a pug. Potter, the Dementors are coming. Potter, ooh. Harry dropped into a seat at the Gryffindor table next to George Beasley. New third-year timetables, said George, passing them over. What's up with you, Harry? Malfoy, said Ron, sitting down on George's other side and glaring over at the Slytherin table. George looked up in Time to see Malfoy pretending to faint with terror again. That light kid, he said calmly. He wasn't so cranky, cocky last night when the Dementors were down our end of the train. Came running into a compartment, didn't he, Fred? Nearly wet himself, said Fred with a contemptuous glance at Malfoy. I wasn't too happy myself, said George. There are horrible things those dementors sort of freeze your insides, don't they, said Fred. You didn't pass out, though, did you, said Harry in a low voice. Forget it, Harry, said George, bracingly. Dad had to go out to Azkaban one time, remember, Fred, and he said... It was the worst place he'd ever seen. He came back all weak and shaking. They suck the happiness out of a place. Dementors. Most of the prisoners go mad in there. Anyway, we'll see how happy Malfoy looks after our first Quidditch match, said Fred. Gryffindor was a Slytherin. First game of the season, remember? The only time Harry and Malfoy had faced each other in a Quidditch match, Malfoy had definitely come off worse. Feeling slightly very more cheerful, Harry helped himself to sausages and fried tomatoes. Hermione was examining her new timetable. Oh, good, we are standing some new subjects today, she said happily. Hermione, said Ron, frowning as he looked over her shoulder. They've messed up your timetable. Look, they've got you down for about ten subjects a day. There isn't enough time. Oh, manage. I have fixed it all with Professor McGonagall. But look, said Ron, laughing. See, this morning, nine o'clock, the Venation, and underneath, nine o'clock, Muggle Studies, and Ron leant closer to the timetable, disbelieving. Look, underneath that, Arithmancy, nine o'clock. I mean, I know you're good, Hermione, but no one's that good. How are you supposed to be in three classes at once? Don't be silly, said Hermione shortly. Of course I won't be in three classes at once. Well then, pass the marmalade, said Hermione. But, oh Ron, what's it to you if my timetable's a bit full? 
Hermione snapped. I told you, I fixed it all with Professor McGonagall. Just then, Hagrid entered the great hall. He was wearing his long moleskin overcoat and was absent-mindedly swinging a dead polecat from one enormous hand. All right, he said eagerly, pausing on the way to the staff table. You in my first year ever lesson. Right after lunch, been up since five getting everything ready. Hope it's okay. Me, a teacher, honestly. He grinned broadly at them and headed off to the staff table, still swinging the polecat. Wonder what he's been getting ready, said Ron, a note of anxiety in his voice. The hall was starting to empty as people headed off towards their first lesson. Ron checked his timetable. We'd better go look divinations at the top of North Tower. It'll take us ten minutes to get there. They finished their breakfast hastily, said goodbye to Fred and George, and walked back through the hall. As they passed the Slytherin table, Malfoy did yet another impression of a fainting fit. The shouts of laughter followed Harry into the entrance hall. The journey through the castle to North Tower was a long one. The two years at Hogwarts hadn't taught them everything about the castle, and they had been never been inside North Tower before. There's got to be a shortcut, Ron panted, as they climbed their seventh long staircase and emerged on an unfamiliar landing where there was nothing but a large painting of a bare stretch of grass hanging on the stone wall. I think it's this way, said Hermione, peering down the empty passage to the right. Come be, said Ron, that's south. Look, you can see a bit of the lake out of the window. Harry was watching the painting. A fat, dapple grey pony had just ambled onto the glass grass and was grazing nonchalantly. Harry was used to the subjects of Hogwarts paintings moving around and leaving their frames to visit each other, but he always enjoyed watching them. A moment later, a short squat knight in a suit of armor had clanked into the picture after his pony, but the look of the grass stains on his middle knees. He had just fallen off. Aha! he yelled, seeing Harry, Ron, and Hermione. What villains are these trespass upon my private lands? Come to scorn my, at my fault, perhaps. Draw, you naps, you dogs. They watched in astonishment as the little knight tugged his sword out of its scabbard and began brandishing it violently, hopping up and down in rage, but the sword was too long for him. A particularly wild swing made him overbalance, and he landed face down in the grass. Are you all right? said Harry, moving closer to the picture. Get back, you scurvy braggart! Back, you rogue! The knight seized his sword again and used it to push himself back up, but the blade sank deeply into the grass and, though he pulled with all his might, he couldn't get it out again. Finally, he had to flop back down onto the grass and push up his wizard to mop his sweating face. Listen, said Harry, taking advantage of the knight's exhaustion. 
We are looking for the North Tower. You don't know the way, do you? A quest. The knight's rage seemed to vanish instantly. He clanged to his feet and shouted, Come, follow me, dear friends, and we shall find a goal, or else shall perish bravely in the charge. He gave the sword another fruitless tug, cried and failed to the mount the fat pony, and cried, On foot then, good sirs, and gentle lady, on, on, and he ran, clanking loudly, into the left-hand side of the frame and out of sight. They hurried after him along the corridor, following the sound of his armor. Every now and then they spotted him running through the up picture ahead. Be of stout heart, the worst is yet to come, yelled the knight, and they saw him reappear in front of an alarmed group of women crinolines, whose picture hung on the wall of a narrow spiral staircase. Puffing loudly, Harry, Ron, and Hermione climbed the tightly spiraling steps, getting desire and desire, until at last they heard the murmur of voices above them and knew they had reached the classroom. Farewell, cried the knight, popping his head into a painting of some sinister-looking monks. Farewell, my com- comrades in arms. If ever you need, have need of noble heart and steely senior, call upon Sir Carrigan. Yeah, we'll call you, muttered Ron, as the knight disappeared. If we ever need someone mental... They climbed the last few steps and emerged into a tiny landing where most of the class was already assembled. There were no doors of this landing. Ron nudged Harry and pointed at the ceiling, where there was a circular trap door with a brass plaque on it. Cybel Trelawney, divination teacher, Harry read, How are we supposed to get up there? As though in answer to his question, the trap door suddenly opened, and a silvery ladder descended right at Harry's feet. Everyone went quiet. After you, said Ron, grinning so hard, so Harry climbed the ladder first. He emerged into the strangest-looking classroom he had ever seen. In fact, it didn't look like a classroom at all, more like a cross between someone's attic and an old-fashioned tea shop. At least 20 small circular tables were crammed inside it, all surrounded by chintz armchairs and fat little puffs. Everything was lit with a dim crimson light. The curtains at the windows were all closed and the many lamps were wrapped with dark red scarves. It was stiflingly warm, and the fire which was burning under the crowded mantelpiece was giving off a heavy, sickly sort of perfume as it heated a large copper kettle. The shelves running around the circular walls were crammed with dusty-looking feathers, stubs of candles, many packs of tattered playing cards, countless silvery crystal balls and a huge array of teacups. Ron appeared at Harry's shoulder as the class assembled around them, all talking in whispers. Where is she? Ron said. A voice came suddenly out of the shadows, a soft, mystery sort of voice. Welcome, she said. How nice to see you in a physical world at last. Harry's immediate impression was a large of a large glittering insect, Professor Trelawney moved into the firelight and 
they saw that she was very thin. Her large glasses magnified her eyes to several times their natural size, and she was wrapped in a gauzy spangled shawl. Innumerable chains and beads hung around her spindly neck, and her arms and hands were encrusted with bangles and rings. Sit, my children, sit, she said, and they all climbed awkwardly into the chair, armchairs, or sank in onto puffs. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat themselves around the same round table. Welcome to divination, said Professor Troll and Rayol and Trelawney, who had seated herself in a winched armchair in front of the fire. My name is Professor Trelawney. You may not have seen me before. I find that descending too often onto the hustle and bustle of the main school clouds by inner eye. Nobody said anything in answer to this extraordinary pronouncement. Professor Trelawney delicately rearranged her shawl and continued. So, you have chosen to study divination, the most difficult of all magic arts. I must warn you at the outset that if you do have the sight, there is a very little. I will be able to teach you. Books can make you only so far in this field. At these words, both Harry and Ron glanced. Grinning at Hermione, who looked startled at the news that books wouldn't be much help in this subject. Many witches and wizards, talented though they are in the area of loud bangs and smells and sudden disappearings, and yet unable to penetrate the veiled mysteries of the future. Professor Trelawney went on, her enormous gleaming eyes moving from face to nervous, nervous face. It is a gift granted to a few. You boy, she said suddenly to Neville. You almost toppled off his poof. Yes, your grandmother, well. I think so, said Neville tremulously. I wouldn't be sure if... I were you, dear, said Professor Trelawney, the firelight glinting on her long emerald earrings. Neville gulped. Professor Trelawney continued placidly. We will be covering the basic methods of divination this year. The first term will be devoted to reading the tea leaves. Next term will we shall progress progress to pal mystery, by the way, my dear. She shot suddenly at poverty battle. Be aware a red haired man. Poverty gave a startled look at Ron, who was right behind her, and edged her chair away from him. In the summer term, Professor Trelawney went on, we shall progress to the crystal ball. If we have finished with fire omens, that is, unfortunately, classes will be disrupted in February by a nasty bout of flu. I myself will choose my voice. And around Easter, one of our number will leave us forever. A very tense silence followed this pronouncement, but Professor Trelawney seemed unaware of it. I wonder, dear, she said to Lavender Brown, who was nearest and shrunk back in the chair, in her chair, if you could pass me the largest silver teapot. Lavender, looking relieved, stood up, took an enormous teapot from the shelf and put it down on the table in front of Professor Trelawney. 
Thank you, my dear. Incidentally, that thing you are reading, it will happen on Friday the 16th of October. Lavender trembled. Now, I want you all to divide into pairs, collect a teacup from the shelf, come to me and I will fill it. Then sit down and drink. Drink until only the dregs remain. Swill these around the cups, cup three times with the left hand. Then turn the cup upside down on its saucer. Wait for the last of the tea to drain away. Then give your cup to uh, your partner to read. You will interpret the patterns using pages five and six of Unfolding the Future. I shall move among you, helping and instructing. Um, and dear, she caught Neville by the arm as he made to stand up. After you have broken your first cup, would you be so kind as to select one of the blue patterned ones? I'm rather attached to the pink. Sure enough, Neville had no sooner reached the shelf of teacups than there was a tinkle of breaking china. Professor Trelawney swept over to him, holding a dustpan and brush, answered, One of the blue ones, then, dear, if you wouldn't mind, thank you. When Harry and Ron had had their teacups filled, they went back to their table and tried to drink the scalding tea quickly. They swilled the dregs around the Professor Trelawney had instructed, then drained the cups and swapped them. Right, said Ron, as they both opened their books at pages five and six. What can you see in a mine? A load of soggy brown stuff, said Ron, said Harry. The heavily perfumed smoke in the room was making him feel sleepy and stupid. Broaden your minds, my dears, and allow your eyes to see past the mundane. Professor Trelawney cried through the gloom. Harry tried to pull himself together. Right, you've got a wonky sort of cross, he said, consulting unforking the future. That means you're going to have trials and suffering. Sorry about that, but there's a thing that could be the sun. Hang on, that means great happiness. So you're going to suffer, but be very happy. You need your inner eye testing, if you ask me, said Ron, and they both had to stifle their laughs as Professor Trelawney gazed in their direction. My turn, Ron peered into Harry's teacup. His forehead wrinkled with effort. There's a blob a bit like a bowler hat, he said. Maybe you are going to work for the Ministry of Magic. He turned the teacup the other way up. But this way, it looks more like an Again, was that he scanned his copy of Unfolding the Future. You need your inner eye testing, if you ask me, said Ron. And they both had to stifle their laughs as Professor Trelawney gazed in their direction. My turn, Ron peered into Harry's teacup. His forehead wrinkled with effort. There's a blob a bit like a half bowler hat, he said. Maybe you're getting to work for the Ministry of magic he turned the teacup the other way up but this way it looks more like an acorn was that he scanned the copy of unfolding the future a windfall unexpected gold excellent you can lend me some and there's a thing there he turned the cup again that looks like an animal yeah if that was its head it looks like a hippo no, a sheep. Professor Trelawney reeled around as Harry let out a snort of laughter. 
Let me see that, my dear, she said reprovingly to Ron, sweeping over and snatching Harry's cup from him. Everyone went quite to watch. Professor Trelawney was tearing into the teacup, rotating it anti-clockwise. The falcon, my dear, you have a deadly enemy. But everyone knows that, said Hermione in a loud whisper. Professor Trelawney stared at her. Well, they do, said Hermione. Everyone knows about Harry and you know who. Harry and Ron stared at her with a mixture of amazement and admiration. They had never heard Hermione speak to a teacher like that before. Professor Trelawney close chose not to reply. She lowered her huge eyes to Harry's cap again and continued to turn it. The club, an attack. Dear, dear, this is not a happy cup. I thought that was a bowler hat, said Ron sheepishly. The skull, danger in your path, my dear. Everyone was staring transfixed at Professor Trelawney, who gave the cup a final turn, gasped, and then screamed. There was another tinkle of breaking china. Neville had smashed his second cup. Professor Trelawney sank into a wasted armchair, her glittering hand at her heart and her eyes closed. My dear boy, my poor dear boy, no, it is kinder not to say, no, to ask me. What is it, Professor? said Dean Thomas at once. Everyone had got to their feet and slowly they crowded around Harry and Ron's table. Pressing close to Professor Trelawney's chair to get a good look at Harry's cup. My dear, Professor Trelawney's huge eyes opened dramatically. You have the grim. The what? said Harry. He could tell he wasn't the only one who didn't understand. Dean Thomas shrugged at him and Lavender Brown looked puzzled. But nearly everyone else clapped their hands into their mouths in horror. The grim, my dear, the grim cried Professor Trelawney, who looked shocked that Harry had not understood. The giant spectacle dog that haunts churchyards, my dear boy, it is an omen, the first, the worst omen of death. Harry's stomach lurched, the dog on the cover of death omens, in flourishing blots, the dog in the shadows of Magnolia Crescent, Lavender Brown clapped her hands to her mouth, too. Everyone was looking at Harry, everyone except Hermione, who had got up and moved around to the back of Professor Trelawney's chair. I don't think it looks like a grim, she said flatly. Professor Trelawney surveyed Hermione's with mounting dislike. You'll forgive me to say for saying so, my dear, but I perceive very little aura around you, very little respectivity to the reason nances of the future. See, Miss Finnison was tilting his head from side to side. It looks like a grim if you do this, he sa- said with his eyes almost shut. But it looks more like a donkey from here, he said, leaning to the left. When you've all finished deciding whether I'm going to die or not, said Harry, taking him even himself by surprise. Now nobody seemed to want 
to look at him. I think we will leave the lesson here for today, said Professor Trelawney in her misteased voice. Yes, please pack away your things. Silently, the class took their teacups back to Professor Trelawney, packed away their books and closed their bags. Even Ronan was avoiding Harry's eyes. Until we meet again, said Professor Trelawney faintly. Fair fortune be yours. Oh, and dear, she pointed at Neville. You'll be late next time, so my new word work extra hard to catch up. Harry, Ron, and Hermione descended Professor Trelawney's ladder and winding staircase in silence, then set off for Professor McGonagall's transfiguration lesson. It took them so long to find her classroom that early as they had left divination, they were only just in time. Harry chose a seat right at the back of the room, feeling as though he was sitting in a very bright spotlight. The rest of the class kept shouting furtive glances at him, as though he was about to drop dead by at any moment. He hardly heard what Professor McGonagall was telling them about anime, anime wizard who could transform at will into animals and wasn't even watching when she transformed herself into in front of the other their eyes into a tabby cat with spectacle markings around her eyes really what has got into you all today said professor mcgonagall turning back into herself with a faint pop and staring around them all look that it matters but that's the first time my transfiguration's not got applause from class Everybody's head turned towards Harry again, but nobody spoke. Then Hermione raised her hand. Please, Professor, we've just had our divination class, and we were reading the tea leaves, and... Uh, of course, said, said Professor McGonagall, suddenly frowning. There is no need to say any more, Miss Granger. Tell me which of you will be dying this year. Everyone stared at her. Me, said Harry finally. I see, said Professor McGonagall, fixing Harry with her beady eyes. Then you should know, Potter, that Cybel Trelawney has predicted the death of one student a year since she arrived at this school. None of them has died yet. Seeing death omens is her favorite way of greeting a new class. If it were not for the fact that I never speak ill of my colleagues. Professor McGonagall broke off and they saw that her nostrils had gone white. She went on more calmly. Divination is one of the most imprecise branches of magic. I shall not conceal from you that I have very little patience with it. True seers were very rare, and Professor Trelawney, she stopped again and then said in a very matter-of-fact tone, You look in excellent health to me, Potter, so you will excuse me if I don't let you off homework today. I assure you that if you die, you need not hand it in. Hermione laughed. Harry felt a bit better. It was harder to feel scared of a lump of tea leaves away from the dim red light and the fiddling perfume of Trelawney's classroom.
Not everyone was convinced. However, Ron still looked worried and Lavender whispered, But what about Neville's scarf? When the transfiguration class had finished, they joined the crowd thundering towards the great hall for lunch. Ron, cheer up, said Hermione, pushing a dish of stew towards him. You heard what Professor McGonagall said. Ron spooned stew onto his plate and picked up his fork, but didn't start. Harry, he said in a low, serious voice, you haven't seen a great black dog anywhere, have you? Yes, I have, said Harry. I saw one the night I left the Dursleys. Ron let his fork flat fall with a clatter. Probably a stray, said Hermione calmly. Ron looked at Hermione as though she had gone mad. Hermione, if Harry seen a grim, that's that's bad, he said. My my uncle Billy saw one and and he died twenty four hours after later. Coincidence, said Hermione airily, burying herself some pumpkin juice. You don't know what you're talking about, said Ron, starting to get angry. Grim scared the living daylight out of most wizards. There you are, then, said Hermione in a superior tone. They see the Grim and die of fright. The Grim's not an omen, is the cause of death, and Harry still with us because he's not stupid enough to see one and think right well i'd better pop my clogs then ron mouthed wordlessly at hermione who opened her bag took out her new arithmancy book and propped it open against the juice jug I think divination seemed very woolly she said searching for her page a lot of guesswork if you ask me there was nothing really about the grim in the, that cap, said Ron hotly. You didn't seem quite so confident when you were telling Harry it was a sheep, said Hermione coolly. Professor Trelawney said you don't have the right aura. You just don't like being rubbish at something for a change. He had touched a nerve. Hermione slammed her arithmancy book down on the table so hard that bits of meat and carrot flew everywhere. If being good at divination means I have to pretend to see that omens in a lamp of tea leaves, I'm not sure I'll st- be studying much longer. That lesson was absolutely rubbish compared to my arithmetic class. She snatched up her bag and stalked away. Ron frowned after her. What's she talking about? He said to Harry. She hasn't been to an arithmetic class yet. Harry was pleased to get out of the class after lunch. Yesterday's rain had cleared. The sky was a clear, pale grey and the grass was springy and damp underfoot as they set off for their first ever care for magical creatures class. Ron and Hermione were not speaking to each other. Harry walked beside them in silence as they went down the sloping lawns to Hagrid's hat on the edge of the forbidden forest. It was only when he spotted three only two familiar bags ahead of them that he realized they must be having these lessons with the Slytherins. Malfoy was talking animatedly to Crab and Goyle who were chortling.
Harry was quite sure he knew what they were talking about. Hagrid was waiting for his class at the door of his hut. He stood in the molluscan overcoat with Fang, the boarhound, at his heels, looking impatient to start. Come on now, get a move on, he called as the class approached. Got a real treat for you today. Great lesson coming up. Everyone here, right, follow me. For a nasty moment, Harry thought that Hagrid was going to lead them into the forest. Harry had had enough unpleasant experiences in there to last him a life- li- lifetime. However, Hagrid strolled off around the edge of the trees and five minutes later they found themselves outside a kind of paddock. There was nothing in there. Everyone gather around the fence here, he called. That's it. Make sure you can see. Now, first thing you'll want to do is open your books. How? said the cold, rolling voice of Drake Malfoy. Eh, said Hagrid. How do we open our books? Malfoy repeated. He took out his copy of the Monster Book of Monsters, which he had bound shut with a length of rope. Other people took theirs out too. Some, like Harry, had belted their books shut. Others had crammed them inside tight bags or clamped them together with bull clips. Hasn't, hasn't anyone been able to open these bo- their books, said Hagrid, looking crestfallen. The class all shook their heads. You've got to stroke them, said Hagrid, as though this was the most obvious thing in the world. Look, he took Hermione's copy and ripped off the spellotape that bound it. The book tried to bite, but Hagrid ran a giant forefinger down its spine and the book shivered and then fell open and lay quiet in his hand. Oh, how silly we've all been, Malfoy sneered. We should have stroked them. Why didn't we guess? I I thought they were funny, Hagrid said uncertainly to Hermione. Oh, tremendously funny, said Malfoy, really witty, giving us books that cry and rip our hands off. Shut up, Malfoy, said Harry quietly. Hagrid was looking downcast at Harry and wanted Hagrid's first lesson to be a success. Right then, said Hagrid, who seemed to have lost his thread. So, so you've got your books and uh, now you need the magical creatures. Yeah, so I'll go and get them. Hang on. He strode away from them into the forest and out of sight. God, this place is going to the dogs, said Malfoy loudly. That of teaching classes, my father will have a fit when I tell him. Shut up, Malfoy, Harry repeated. Careful, Potter, there's a Dementor behind you. Ugh, squealed Lavender Brown, pointing towards the opposite side of the paddock. Crouching towards them were a dozen of the most bizarre creatures Harry had ever seen. They had the bodies, hind legs, and tails of horses, but the front legs, wings, and heads of what seemed to be a giant eagles with cruel, steel-colored beaks and large, brilliantly orange eyes. The tail ends on their front legs were half a foot long and deadly-looking. 
Each of the beasts had a thick leather collar around its neck, which was attached to a long chin, and the ends of all these were held in the vast hands of Hagrid, who came jogging into the paddock behind the creatures. Get up there, he rode shaking the chains and urging the creatures towards the fence where the class stood. Everyone drew back slightly as Hagrid reached them and tested the creatures to the fence. Hippogriffs, Hagrid rode happily, waving a hand at them. Beautiful are them, aren't they? Harry could sort of see what Hagrid meant. Once you had got over the first shock of seeing something that was half horse, half bird, you started to appreciate the, the hippogriff's gleaming coats, changing smoothly from feather to hair, each of them a different color. Stormy gray, bronze, a pinkish roan, gleaming chestnut, and inky black. So, said Hagrid, rubbing his hands together and beaming around, if you want to come a bit nearer, no one seemed to want to. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, however, approached the fence cautiously. Now, first thing you got to do about hippogriffs is they're proud, said Hagrid, easily offended. Hippogriffs are. Don't never insult one, because it might be the last thing you do. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle were not listening. They were talking in an undertone, and Harry had a nasty feeling they were plotting how best to disrupt the lesson. You always wait for the hippogriffs to make the first move, Hagrid continued. It's polite, see? You walk towards him, and you bow, and you wait. If he bows back, you're allowed to touch him. If he doesn't bow, then get away from the sh- from him, sharpish, because those tailings hurt. Right, who wants to go first? Most of the class backed further away in answer. Even Harry, Ron, and Hermione had misgivings. The hippogriffs were tossing their fears, heading and flexing their powerful wings. They didn't seem to like being tethered like this. No one, said Hagrid with a pleading look. I'll do it, said Harry. There was an intake of breath from behind him and both Lavender and Poverty whispered. Oh no, Harry, remember your tea leaves? Harry ignored them. He climbed over the paddock fence. Good man, Harry, rode Hagrid. Right then, let's see how you got on, the bu- on with the bug beak. He untied one of the chains, pulled the grey hippogriff away from his fellows and slipped off with leather collar. The class on the other side of the paddock seemed to be holding its breath. Malfoy's eyes were narrowed maliciously. Easy now, Harry, said Hagrid quietly. You've got eye contact. Now try not to blink. Hippogriff don't trust you if you blink too much. Harry's eyes immediately began to water. But he didn't shut them. Bugbeak had turned his great sharp head and was staring at Harry with one fierce orange eye. That's it, said Hagrid. That's it, Harry. Now bow. Harry didn't feel much like exposing the back of his neck to Bugbeak, but he did as he t- was told. He gave a short bow and then looked up. The hippogriffs were still staring haughtily at him. 
It didn't move. Ah, said Hagrid, sounding worried. Right back away. Now, Harry easy does it. But then, to Harry's enormous surprise, the hippogriff suddenly bent his scaly front knees and sank into what was an unmistakable bow. Well done, Harry, said Hagrid, ecstatic. Right, you can't touch him. Pat his beak on. Go on. Feeling that a better reward would have been to back away. Harry moved slowly towards the hippogriff and reached out towards him. He patted the beak several times and hippogriff closed his eyes lazily, as though enjoying it. The class broke into applause all ex- except from Malfoy, Crab and Quill, who were looking deeply disappointed. Right then, Harry said Hagrid, I reckon he might let you ride him. This was more than Harry had bargained for. He was used to a broomstick, but he wasn't sure a hippogriff would be quite the same. You climb up there, just behind the wrong wing joint, said Hagrid, and mind, you don't pull any of his feathers out. He won't like that. Harry put his foot on the top of Bugbeak's wing and hoisted himself on to his back, Bugbeak stood up. Harry wasn't sure where to hold on. Everything in front of him was covered in feathers. Go on then, rode Hagrid, slapping the hippogriff's hindquarters. Without warning, twelve-foot wings flapped open on either side of Harry. He just had time to seize the hippogriff around the neck before he was soaring upwards. It was nothing like a broomstick, and Harry knew which one he preferred. The hippogriff's wings were beating uncomfortably on either side of him, catching him under his legs and making him feel he was about to be thrown off. The glossy feathers slipped under his fingers, and he didn't dare get a stronger grip. Instead of the smooth action of Nimbus 2000, he now felt himself rocking backwards and forwards as the hindquarters of the hippogriff rose and fell with the wings. Bugbeak flew him once around the paddock and then headed back to the ground. This was the bit Harry had been dreading. He leant back as the smooth neck lowered, feeling he was going to slip off over the beak. Then he felt heavy thud as the four ill assorted feet hit the ground and just managed to hold on and push himself straight again. Good work, Harry, Lord Hagrid, as everyone except Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle cheered. Okay, who else wants to go? Emboldened by Harry's success, the rest of the class climbed cautiously into the paddock. Hagrid untied the hippogriffs one by one, and soon people were bowing nervously. All over the paddock, Neville ran repeatedly backwards from his, which didn't seem to want to bend its knees. Ron and Hermione practiced on their chestnut, while Harry watched. Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle had taken over Bugbeak. He had bowed to Malfoy, who was now patting his beak, looking disdainful. This is very easy, Malfoy rolled loud enough for Harry to hear him. I knew it must have been if Potter could do it. I bet you're not dangerous at all, are you? He said to the hippogriff. Are you, you ugly great brute? It happened in a flash of steely talons. 
Malfoy let out a high-pitched scream, and next moment Hagrid was wrestling back, Bugbeak back into his collar as he strained to get at Malfoy, who lay curled in the grass, blood blossoming over his robes. I'm dying, Malfoy yelled as the class panicked. I'm dying, look at me, it's killed me. You're not dying, said Hagrid, who had gone very white. Someone help me, gotta get him out of there. Hermione ran to open the gate while Hagrid lifted Malfoy easily as they passed. Harry saw that they were that there was a long deep gash in Malfoy's arm. Blood splattered the grass and Hagrid ran with him up the slope towards the castle. Very shaken, the care of magical creatures, class followed at a walk. The Slytherins were all shouting about Hagrid. They should sack him straight away, said Pansy Parkinson, who was in tears. It was Malfoy's fault, snapped Dean Thomas. Crab and Goyle flexed their muscles threateningly. They all climbed the stone steps into the deserted entrance hall. I'm going to see if he's okay, said Pansy, and they all watched her run at the marble staircase. The Slytherin, still muttering about Hagrid, headed away in the direction of their dungeon common room. Harry, Ron, and Hermione proceeded upstairs to Gryffindor Tower. Do you think he'll be all right, said Hermione nervously. Of course he will. Madame Bonvoy can mend cuts in about a second, said Harry, who had heard far worse injuries mended magically by the matron. That was a really bad thing to happen to Hagrid's first class, though, wasn't it? said Ron, looking worried. Trust Malfoy to mess things up for him. They were among the first to reach the great hall at dinner time, hoping to see Hagrid, but he wasn't there. They would not sack him, would they? said Hermione, anxiously, not touching his steak and kidney pudding. They'd better not, said Ron, who wasn't eating either. Harry was watching the Slytherin table. A large group, including Crab and Goyle, were huddled together. Deep in conversation, Harry was sure they were ch- cooking up their own version of how Malfoy had got injured. Well, you can't say it wasn't an interesting first day back, said Ron gloomily. gloomily. They went up to the crowded Gryffindor common room after dinner and tried to do the homework Professor McGonagall had said them, but all three of them kept breaking off and glancing out of the tower window. There's a light on in Hagrid's window, Harry said suddenly. Ron looked at his watch. If we hurried, we could go down and see him. It's still quite early. I don't know, Hermione said slowly, and Harry saw her glance at him. I'm allowed to walk across the grounds, he said pointedly. Sirius Black has not got the demon past the Dementors here, has he? So they put their things away and headed out of the portrait hall. Glad not to meet anybody on their way to the front doors, as they were not entirely sure they were supposed to be out. The grass was still wet and looked almost black in the twilight. When they reached Hagrid's hut, they knocked and a voice growled, Come in. Hagrid was sitting in his shirt sleeves and his scrabbled wooden table, his bow hunt, Fang had his head in Hagrid's lap. One look 
told them that Hagrid had been drinking a lot, but there was a pitcher tanker, almost as big as bucket in front of him, and he seemed to be having difficulty in getting them in focus. Expected to record, he said thickly when he recognized them. Now reckon they've ever had a teacher who only lasted a day before. If not been sacked, Hagrid gasped Hermione. Not yet, said Hagrid miserably, taking a huge gulp of whatever was in the tankard. But it is only a matter of time. It is not it. After Malfoy, how is he? said Ron as they all sat down. It was not serious, was it? Madame Pomfroy fixed him best she could, said Hagrid dully, but he's saying it's still agony covered in bandages moaning. He's faking it, said Harry at once. Madame Pomfroy can mend anything. She regrew half bones my half my bones last year, trust Malfoy to milk it for all it's worth. School governors have been told, of course, said Hagrid miserably. They reckon I started too big. Should have left hippogriffs for later. Done flower wands or some just though I'd make a good first lesson. It's all my fault. It's all Malfoy's fault, Hagrid, said Hermione earnestly. We're witnesses, said Harry. You said hippogriffs attack if you insult them. It's ha- Malfoy's problem. He was not listening. We'll tell Dumbledore what really happened. Oh, don't worry, Hagrid. We'll back you up, said Ron. Tears leaked out of the crinkled corners of Hagrid's beetle black eyes. He grabbed both Harry and Ron and pulled them into a bone-breaking hug. I think you've had enough to drink, Hagrid, said Hermione firmly. She took a tanker from the table and went outside to empty it. Uh, maybe she's right, said Hagrid, letting go of Harry and Ron, who both staggered away, rubbing their ribs. Hagrid heaved himself out of his chair and followed Hermione unsteadily outside. They heard a loud splash. What's he done? said Harry nervously as Hermione came back in with the empty tankard. Stuck his head in the water barrel, said Hermione, putting the tankard away. Hagrid came back, his long hair and beard sopping wet, whipping the water out of his eyes. That's better, he said, shaking his head like a dog and renting them all. Listen, it was good of you to come and see me. I really... Hagrid... Sobbed dead, staring at Harry as though he'd only just realized he was there. What do you think you're doing, eh? He roared so suddenly that they jumped a foot in the air. You are not to go wandering around after dark, Harry, and you too, letting him. Hagrid stood over to Harry, grabbed his arm, and pulled him to the door. Come on, Hagrid said angrily. I'm taking you all back up to school, and don't let me catch you walking down to see me after dark again. I'm not worth that. Okay, everybody, this chapter is finished, and we are going to start our next chapter, which is Chapter 7, The Bogart in the Wardrobe, in our next podcast. Till then, thank you for listening.